Thanks for tuning into this episode of CannaCast. I'm your host, Eric Allstatter, Eisner Amper's National Cannabis and Hemp Practice Leader. Please welcome our guest, Elizabeth Case, the co-chair of the Cannabis Law Group at the law firm of Ruskin Moscow Faltercheck. There, her practice focuses on providing counsel to businesses and individuals regarding New York's Marijuana Regulation and Taxation Act. She is also a member of the firm's White Collar Crime and Investigations Practice Group and the Health Law Department. Prior to that, she served as Assistant District Attorney in New York County, where she prosecuted hundreds of cases pertaining to narcotics, street crime, domestic violence, white collar crime, and sex crimes. Welcome, Liz. Thank you so much, Eric. It's a pleasure to be here. Liz, what licenses are expected to be available in New York? So New York is opening a a terrific uh, opportunity and a vast marketplace where there'll be approximately nine licenses available sometime during 2022 with the expectation that doors will open in early 2023. You will see varying licenses that relate to cultivation, processing, distribution, retail. There'll be a micro business license. There'll be a hybrid medical uh, registered organization retail license. And there'll be some hybrid licenses within that vertical. Unlike other states though, Eric, uh, New York is not looking to be a seed to sale model, which means that there'll be several different entry points for the applicants. And um, New York is looking to keep licenses separated. So most licenses or license applicants will not be able to have financial interests from license to license. Now is the licensing for an individual or for a business? It is for a business or an individual, depending upon how the applicant states their intention. Uh, Most applicants will probably be in the name of an LLC. They may be single member LLCs, but um, they'll most likely be company named. Now, how is the cultivation licensing in New York expected to compare to other states, for example, Massachusetts? So New York has not yet issued its regulations. We're expecting those to come out sometime in uh, quarter one of 2022. What we have right now is a legal framework in the Marijuana Regulation Taxation Act, otherwise known as MRDA. And in that law, um, it is not so specific as to indicate how cultivator licenses will be granted. In Massachusetts, for example, cultivation licenses are in a canopy Uh, uh, in a different canopy leveling. So you will have a smaller scale grower, a middle scale grower, and a large scale grower. I believe there are six different levels of canopy growth um, where there would be applications for entering into the cultivation space at any of those particular levels. And in Massachusetts, for example, those different levels have different application fees associated with it, as well as different license fees. So depending upon your canopy or square foot growth, uh, you would have a a more expensive, um, you would have a more expensive license. I think New York will have something similar to that, although we don't have the regulations yet. And I believe that to be the case because of the the background and um, progressive intention of the Marijuana Taxation and Regulation Act. It's a progressive platform where this law is trying to give opportunity to those that have been disenfranchised or disproportionately impacted by marijuana laws in the past. And so for those reasons, um, this, this New York marketplace is looking to have various people from all sorts of different economic backgrounds have opportunity in the space. And it cannot be expected, therefore, that a small-time grower would have the same financial backing 
and opportunity as a larger MSO, multi-state operator that might already exist in other states. Under the New York State rules, local municipalities have the option to opt in or opt out of allowing adult use retail dispensaries or on-site consumption lounges. And with, with those that opt in cannot then opt out and those that opt out can change their mind and opt in. How important is this and what effect does this have on the industry? It's really a fascinating nuance that's getting a lot of press in New York. The opt-out provision is provided by MURDA again to say to the local uh, municipalities, you don't have to participate in the retail or consumption aspects of marijuana regulation and taxation. So let me make that clear. The only two ways that a municipality can opt out is to opt out of a retail dispensary for adult use or for an on-site consumption lounge. That being said, um, many municipalities right now are having a lot of attention. There's a lot of political uh, robust debate happening in these local municipalities because the opt-out provision expires on the 31st of December of this year. Um, So we're getting down to the finish line. And as of right now, I didn't check right before our our, uh, podcast interview, but um, approximately 400 municipalities have opted out. What does that mean? And it's it's hovering somewhere in the 28 to 30% of municipalities. What does that mean for business? Well, it's a couple of things. It means that um, if you are a, a town or a local municipality that has decided to opt out, you are losing 4% of sales tax on these goods. Uh, And this would be um, coming to the municipality directly. Um, For example, out in Long Island, where I sit, um, we are governed by a town system. We, of course, have a county government, but we have local towns and villages. By the law, the local town would receive 3% of the sales tax and 1% would go to the village uh, for which or in which the uh, dispensary or consumption lounge sits. By opting out, you are losing that tax base. And the sad thing that I think is, is not really recognized by most towns and municipalities is that you are not opting out of retail or rather um, adult use cannabis per se. You are only opting out of the business opportunity for the retail dispensary and the consumption lounge. So you're, you're, missing, you're, you're missing a market share of, of tax revenue because the delivery services, the cultivation sites, the processors will still be allowed to exist within your town and municipality. So sadly, you're missing a tax grab that could otherwise go to support your your local uh, economy. Um, You're also missing an opportunity to allow small business entrepreneurship to exist within your town. Um, One of the side effects and the sad side effects of COVID, of course, is that a lot of local businesses have gone out um, and you're seeing a lot of empty storefronts. Now, not everybody wants to see a retail or consumption lounge in their town. However, um, there would still be an opportunity for zoning restrictions, time, place and manner restrictions, even on those um, retail consumption sites and retail and consumption sites if they did not opt out. So if they decided not to opt out, it's a double negative, and they existed, uh, they could still further um, zone the locations for those businesses. By completely opting out, they are banning them at the beginning of this law and at at the beginning of this um, opportunity. 
And why is that important? Because right now, businesses across New York State are trying to figure out where they want to land. Where do I want, what town do I want to sit in? Where is my market share? How do I make predictions about my real estate? And it is becoming very difficult for the retailer and the consumption lounge uh, business person to, uh, to locate a safe space for them to engage in negotiations for real estate due to the fact that this is still in a deciding point within those local municipalities. But January 1st is around the corner, so there should be a lot more clarity. But to your original point, if you opt out by December 31st, which is your right for a local municipality, and then January 1st, scratch your head, turn around and say, you know what, we've decided to opt back in, that is an opportunity for those local municipalities. One of the big arguments and reasons why municipalities have uh, have decided to opt out or are um, you know, having this debate is that the regulations for the Marijuana uh, Regulation and Taxation Act have not yet been issued. So there's a little bit of confusion um, as to what do the regs really look like. My argument would be that it, it's not really relevant to the retail dispensary or the consumption site because the regulations relate a lot more to the application process, um, the canopy growth site for a uh, cultivation site, for example. Um, we already know that a person seeking a retail license will only be allowed to have three locations. So, you know, there's a lot already known about retail and about consumption. So I'm not following the logic to opt out. Um, but m many, many, many towns and villages on Long Island already have. I expect that will change in reverse once the regulations come out and that this was more of a political uh, optic than a real business decision by the towns. So the opt out is really not so much for the residents to opt out of use of the product. It's to opt out of the businesses setting up shop in the, in the municipalities. Exactly right. And to that end, the idea that um, cannabis, adult use cannabis will be um, allowed to participate in a delivery service, kind of like a, a Grubhub or a DoorDash for cannabis, um, you are not really in any way eliminating um, cannabis consumption within your local town, but you are losing that tax basis for that, for that opportunity. The, the preliminary rules in New York and a lot of other states, there's been a lot of discussion about social equity. Can you discuss a little bit about the social equity rules that are being contemplated in New York? Sure. So again, as I said earlier, New York's law was really uh, piggybacking on a progressive appreciation for righting the wrongs of the past that relate to um, enforcement of criminal laws uh, for uh, people of color primarily, um, but also for others that have been disproportionately impacted by prior um, enforcement and um, criminalization of cannabis. So they've decided to build into the Marijuana, Marijuana Regulation and Taxation Act, or MURDA, um, a social equity opportunity where 50% of licenses will be granted to a social equity applicant. Well, who is a social equity applicant? First and foremost, a social equity applicant is a person who's been convicted of a marijuana-related crime. Secondly, it could be a person who is uh, of color, a veteran, or a female. So there are opportunities within MURDA to distinguish yourself um, in that way as you are making applications. 
Um, and there will be, you know, some advantages for that, of course. And there, like I said earlier, too, the idea that um, New York's marketplace will not be a vertical system really does also lend itself to the premise that there will be so many different opportunities and so many different price points for people with various backgrounds to get into the um, cannabis marketplace under Murda. And how, how does the social equity aspect of these rules affect the medicinal marketplace? Because that seems to be dominated by large MSOs now. Right. So, you know, we have 10 registered organizations that are in the medical marijuana space in New York. And they are, they've existed for a long time. Originally, there were five. It expanded a double to 10. Um, and those registered organizations are um, very large enterprises. Um that is a, uh, a that is a side of cannabis that is undeniable. And as state to state across the country, uh, laws are changing to allow for adult use cannabis. What you're seeing, and even in the medical space, you're seeing larger conglomerates start to build, where they are um, getting their licenses in various states and then starting to monopolize the cannabis space. New York does not wish for that to be the only way that cannabis exists in the adult use space. So that is sort of part of the reason that they are looking towards this, um, you know, non-vertical integration, first of all. Um, second of all, I believe that our uh, retail space and our consumption and our small scale cultivation will be dominated by uh, non-MSO applicants. Another example of that could be the the only one of the only vertical licenses in the retail, or sorry, in the adult use space, which is the micro business. So the micro business is a seed to sale uh, license. Um, again, not specific yet as to the full scale of the canopy growth of what a micro business is. But a micro business is meant for uh, the smaller scale owner operator to have a vertical enterprise that is much like the medical marijuana system that we have in place in New York, where the same company grows it, processes it, distributes it, and sells it. Um, but it will be on a much smaller scale. And the thought being, if we allow the small time person or the smaller type of enterprise to go for that micro business, um, they could have a niche practice, a niche business with their own, um, you know, I, I kind of liken it to like a small batch, a small batch bourbon or a micro beer where they would have the opportunity to build a niche market. Um, that isn't really governed and dictated by the larger scale MSOs that are presently in New York State. Do you expect there'll be caps on the number of licenses New York State will issue? <sighs> the sigh is intentional. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and not because it's getting late in the day, but, um, you know, the, the, the short answer is most probably. Um, and that is for a couple of reasons. Um, caps are interesting because caps create competition. Um, caps also allow a marketplace to sort of develop and not uh, be overdeveloped too quickly where um, they want to sort of scale the, the, the development of the market. And caps are tricky because um, this is such an unknown business. I mean, New York is so overregulated to begin with and having so many non-vertical licenses in the space 
um, to cap the number of cultivators or processors, distributors, delivery service, retail, consumption, you know, just thinking that this whole enterprise would be limited on day one to a magical number that is made up by New York state regulators. Um, that's a tough, that's a tough pill to swallow um, for myself um, because we really believe that, you know, it should be an open capitalist society, a marketplace that's dictated by, you know, let everyone get out there and let everyone try and win. But I think New York State, especially because of their progressive agenda, wanting social equity applicants to be so successful, as we all do, might try to limit the number of licenses available to garner more support and assurance that those smaller businesses from the get-go have more of an opportunity to uh, galvanize and really grow and become part of the fabric of, of our society. So. I, I see it both ways. I see it from the strictly capitalist front of like everyone should be able to get a license and everyone should be able to try and develop their brand and their opportunity. On the other hand, if that happens, you know as well as I do that the better finance companies that come from potentially the multi-state operators, those that have the wherewithal done it in Arizona and Colorado and California, will obviously have a jump start on um, the knowledge base that will be uh, prefer preferable to really, um, you know, have a go at it in New York. Liz, one last quick question. Look into your crystal ball. When, notice I said when, not if, when will we have federally legal cannabis? That's a very, very, very interesting question. And a lot of people in our field are really questioning why it's taken this long um, when so many states have already, um, you know, capitulated to this. On the other hand, these states that have gone ahead of uh, the descheduling are really uh, developing these economies where if marijuana, if cannabis were to be descheduled at this point, um, that might break some of the um, opportunity within the states. So, I'm frankly not a proponent of rushing descheduling. I am a proponent of, of banking regulations um, changing to allow for uh, more opportunities in the banking space. Um, but that that's a personal aside. My crystal ball says not soon um, because we've just seen again um, that, that Congress took a pass on passing the Safe Bank Act. So I, I just feel as though um, I, don't, I don't see this happening um, in a in a very short period of time. I think I think Biden, I, I think he's got other things to do. Well, thanks for joining me today, Liz. And thanks for listening to Canacast as part of the Eisner Amper podcast series. Visit EisnerAmper.com slash cannabis for more information and podcast. And join us for our next Canacast podcast, where we'll discuss other budding issues.